Lord Jesus, today we thank you for your presence in this place. We remember today that our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Not the price of silver and gold, but of the precious blood of Jesus. And Lord, we pray as we have sung that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would complete your work within us. You would do what you have started. You would continue what you've started. And you would finish it. You would bring it to completion. And Lord, we again today thank you for the great honor and the privilege that we have of being a part of your church, your body. It is your church. It is your body. It is your house. And we just want to say thank you for allowing us to give our lives to this place and to your purpose and to your cause. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Come on, let's give Jesus a shout before we take our seats. He is wonderful. Fantastic. Everybody having a good week? I tell you now, you can't have a bad week if Jesus is in your life. Things can get tough. Things can get difficult. But I tell you now, when you realize and you wake up to the fact that God is in you, working for you, and greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, although outer circumstances may be queuing up to give you a hard time, you're more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. And I tell you now, in these days, God is doing something in his church. He is doing something He is raising us up to be what he has called us to be in our day, in our generation. We haven't got to look back into the past to see what God did. Our eyes and our attention is to be fixed on what God is doing and what God is about to be doing. It's great to look back and see what God has done. Absolutely fantastic really is to encourage yourself. But don't ever look back with the desire to go back there and relive those old events that once occurred. God's doing a new thing. God's building his church in this day, in this generation. And it's, it's time for us to realize that, to maybe realign our lives with that and get excited about it because God wants to use every single one of us. I believe that with all of my heart. I really do. Over these next weeks, I want us to begin to look at what it means to build God's house. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, he said these words. He was talking to Peter because Peter had just realized that Jesus was the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus had just asked a question to his disciples and he said, listen guys, who do men say that I am? And there was a lot of rumor around Jesus' life and people were saying that he was this person and that person. But then suddenly Peter from heaven gets a revelation as to who Jesus was. And he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answers Peter by saying this, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, 
but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, and this is the phrase that I want to pick up on this morning, this next statement that Jesus makes to Peter. On this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. Jesus has declared his intention. Jesus has declared here with his disciples his purpose, exactly what it is. He unveils it to them. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, very often, you know, we get caught by the words that Peter spoke just prior to what Jesus said to him, just in the verses before, where Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What an amazing revelation. What an amazing encounter that Peter had as the Father revealed to him exactly who Jesus was. And very often we miss this statement that Jesus makes to Peter in this moment and to his disciples. Because here he reveals his purpose. Here he reveals his intention. Here at the back of this statement is Jesus' commitment to do something brand new that wasn't happening in the earth. When they looked around their communities, they saw synagogue here and synagogue there in every vicinity. And Jesus suddenly states his purpose that he'd come to build his church. And maybe the disciples were wondering, well, Jesus, we've got lots of synagogues. We've got lots of representations of God around us. What is the church that you're going to build then? Is it going to be like these other religious gatherings? Or is it going to be different? Very often, we grow up with an idea about church. And we think that church is stately buildings and great architecture, like I said earlier, and colored windows and hymn sandwiches and all of the religious paraphernalia that goes along with it. But when you begin to study the word church and when you begin to look at what church really is, from God's viewpoint, you begin to understand that it's very different from our idea. You see, church isn't bricks and mortar. Church isn't great architecture. Church isn't necessarily what we would attribute church to be. From God's viewpoint, church is all about people. So when Jesus said, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about building buildings. Although it's wonderful to have a building like this. But soon it's going to be too small. You know, for church, you see, church is about people. And when the Spirit of God begins to move on people and arouse people and awaken people, buildings are going to become too small in our day, in our time, in our generation. Because Jesus is going to build his church. It's going to be a glorious thing. And it is a glorious thing already. But Jesus wasn't talking about stately buildings or great architecture or releasing some huge building program or construction program around the vicinity. No, Jesus was talking about people. 
One of the greatest things about being a Christian, one of the greatest things about being planted in God's house, being part of God's family is this. Jesus is building you as part of his church. He really is. He's building your life. He's building you as a person. That's why the greatest decision that you can make today is to give your life to Jesus. And to hand over the controls of your life to him. Why? Because he isn't going to come like a taskmaster and tell you what to do. No, he's going to build you from the ground up. So he says to his disciples, I'm going to build my church. It's going to be very different. Remember, Jesus was kicked out of the synagogue. He was kicked out of the religious establishments of that day. Why? Because an old system wouldn't accept something that was new, radical, and dynamic. An old system wanted to dwell on historical law, on form, on religiosity. But Jesus had come as the embodiment of God's promise. He wanted to walk down the street, heal the sick, raise the dead, open the eyes of the blind, and bring reality to all that was written in the book. And not just, you know, sit back and read it week after week. He wanted to bring closure to the covenant, closure to the purposes of God for the people that were suffering and in need. Like Faye said this morning, how does God view the church? He doesn't view it as some stately building. He sees it as a city on a hill with penetrating light. Inviting light that calls people out of darkness into a place that they can call home. Into a place where they can receive his care and his love and his spirit. No, Jesus said, this is the church that I'm building. These are the people that I am empowering. Now this word that he uses, the word church, is the Greek word ecclesia. And really simple, it means this. It means to be called out, to be called out of darkness. Every single one of us in this place have been called out of darkness. You really have. You've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, the Bible says. It's a supernatural thing. It's not just a matter of your decisions, although it took a decision from you to go with it. But there was a supernatural call that came into your heart, that came into your mind, that resulted in you making a series of decisions that brought you here. The church, this word church, this word ecclesia means to be called out. That's the first meaning. It has two meanings. The second meaning is a wonderful meaning. It's not only just to be called out, it means to be called towards. So you're not just called out randomly to follow Jesus on your own and be isolated. No, you're called towards him and called towards each other. And it's wonderful when we begin to realize this, when we begin to see it. That the person that you're sat next to, the person across the room from you, maybe from a different country, a different ethnicity, may have different experiences and backgrounds from you, but Jesus, in calling them out at the same time, called them toward you. And that's why each and every one of us have such an important role in this house. 
We have such an important role in each other's lives that we're not just here to sing praises to God and that is wonderful, that is glorious, but you have been called towards me and I have been called towards you as Jesus has called us out of a life where we were destroying ourselves. He's made us a family. And this is what he calls his church. This is what he says he is building. He's building his church. As I was just thinking about this this morning, I felt the Holy Spirit just remind me of something that happened to me many years ago now. Just to encourage us. And he said this to me. He said, Dave, don't you remember? You've already been where the church is going. I said, yes, I do remember, Lord. Do you know what? There's a number of people in this house that have already been where this church is going by the Spirit. By the Spirit. They've seen it in the Holy Ghost. They've seen where this church is going. And I'm telling you now, this church is going to a glorious place. This church is going to a supernatural place. This is not just like any social club or any club or, you know, a gathering of hobbyists. No, this is the church of Jesus Christ where Jesus resides. This is a holy place. This is a wonderful place. That's why we should give all of our life energy, all of our zeal. That's why David said, zeal for your house consumes me. Why? Because it wasn't just a local, you know, social club on the corner of some street. David realized that it was the house of God where God dwelt. I tell you now, the church of God deserves all of our commitment. The church of God deserves the laying down of our life. The church of God deserves all of our passion, all of our zeal, all of our energy. It really does. If you can give more, give more. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about your very life. Your very life. And a message like this may mean that you've got to reprioritize things. I would do it. I would do it. The Bible says that those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of God. The greatest decision that you and I can make after salvation is to put your roots down in God's house, roll your sleeves up, and get to work. Get to work. And don't do it half-heartedly. Don't do it with zero passion. Don't just turn up and just think, do you know what? It'll just be another get-by shift. Do it with the energy. Do it with passion. Do it with love for his house. Because it ain't my house. It's his house. It really is. And I know I'm preaching to the converted this morning. But it's good to stir us up in the Holy Ghost. It really is. Give all of your time, all of your energy into the purposes of God. And I'm telling you now, you will, you'll, if, you, if you give God first place, you'll never come second. That's, it's the, it's, it, it seems like a contradiction. But I'm telling you, if you give God first place, you will never come second. You build his house, he'll build yours. You take care of his business, I tell you now, he'll take care of yours. 
I could look back, you could look back, friends, look back on your life and see all of the blessings of God that have been given to you as a result of seeking first the kingdom of God. Jesus, on one occasion, talking about this, knowing that we get so bogged down by worries and we get so diverted by cares. He said, don't worry about anything, man. Seek to my work. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And all these things that the Gentiles go after, all these things that they give their time and their lives to, it'll follow you. It'll come after you. Just seek my kingdom first. I tell you, you seek his kingdom first, you'll never come second. You'll never come second. You'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be blessed going in and and coming out. You really will. All of those promises actually become alive within you and strong directives for your life as you put him and place him as number one. And there are so many things that queue up. There are so many things that line up. They say, listen, you've got to give time to me. You've got to give time. And I'm not saying, listen, right? I'm not saying go and end your job and finish everything and turn up here tomorrow morning. No, not at all. But let those things have their place. But in our hearts, let our hearts burn for the house of God. And of course, we can, we can, all, give different, we, we can all give different amounts of time. There are some people here today and they they struggle to be able to be involved at the level that they would like to be involved in because of commitments and because of, of time factors on their life and limitations. But their hearts are burning. They're praying at home for this house. I will build my church, he said. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Remember, Dave, where I took you because that's where the church is going. 1997, in the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit, I have an encounter with him and he begins to show me this church in the future. Now, either I'd been eating too many carrots that night Or this was a God encounter. I choose to believe that it was a God encounter because from that day to this day, it's never left my spirit. It's never left my life. And I have a faith for it to happen. Why? Because God has spoken it into being. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. I have an evidence in my spirit that I've seen something as a result of an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Where this church will be in the future. And it will be glorious. It will be wonderful. And we're not there yet. But we will be there. A place where the Holy Spirit comes in power. A place where where people are set free from demonic possession. A a place where, where people are instantaneously set free from every kind of mental torture. A place where miraculous healings take place. Where even the dead are raised. A place where the supernatural power of God is relevant, immediate, and evident in everything we do. 
And it's not going to be the result of a man or a personality or any, any other human figure. It's going to be a result of the Holy Spirit's presence brooding and coming and doing what he wants to do. That's how Jesus builds his church. Jesus doesn't build his church like a corporation, like a business. Nothing wrong with those things in their place. But I'm telling you, Jesus builds his church with power, demonstration, signs and wonders, words of knowledge, prophetic word, the gifts of the Spirit. That's how he builds his church. He doesn't build his church just solely on what we can do, although that's important. No, Jesus builds his church on a demonstration of his Spirit. Back in the Old Testament, when they wanted to build God's house, and we'll get to this over the weeks to come, I'm just giving you a little taste this morning of where we're going. But back in the Old Testament, God came to his servant and he said, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Do you think the Holy Spirit is going to give any less commitment than Jesus Christ? Jesus gave his all. Jesus died on the cross so brutally. Jesus went into, the, into hell, into the lower regions of this earth to secure our salvation. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and is seated there. Then Jesus said, I have sent my promised Holy Spirit. He will be your teacher from now on. He will be the counselor. He will be the one that leads you into all truth. He will be the one that baptizes you with fire that empowers you and enables you to be the builders and the laborers in my church, in my work. The Holy Spirit is not going to give any less commitment than Jesus gave. No way. No way. The Holy Spirit is ready to act. The Holy Spirit is ready to use you. It might be just the most simplest of word to another person that has profound effect. Why? Because his presence is all over it. And you might not even know what you're doing. You might not even know where you're going. And suddenly the Holy Spirit begins to unpack his life through you and through me. And suddenly you've got another person ministering to another person. And he's being added into God's house. You see, church really begins at the close of this service. That's when church begins. It really does. This is a service where we lift Jesus up. This is part of the ecclesia, part of the called out, part of the gathering that we call church. But this isn't just church in and of itself. Church begins when this service ends. You go into your workplace, you go into your home, you go into your jobs and your careers and your places of study. You are an extension of his hands and his feet. We are. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And in the time and in the, in the, in the days and the months and the years to come, we are going to see an increase. I'm telling you now, we're going to see an increase in the miraculous. We are going to see an increase in the supernatural power of God. We are going to see an increase in things that are completely off the scale, unusual, mind-bending, no, 
reason can even calculate what he's going to do. We're going to see an increase exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. Last week, we looked at John chapter 20 when the disciples were hiding in a room. The doors were locked because of fear of the Jews. They had seen Jesus killed, the one that said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The one that made that great statement, the one that outlined his commitment and his purpose clearly had been so humiliated, taken to the cross, killed. And maybe the disciples thought, well, that's the end of that promise. Jesus had made so many great statements about what was going to happen in the future. And then dying on the cross, it seemed maybe to those disciples that all of them had come crashing down. All of those great statements, all of those great promises that Jesus had made to them over the three years. The incredible teaching that was so unusual and authoritative and backed with power. All of it to end as he died on the cross. These disciples were completely defeated. And there in John 20, they're hiding in, in, a, in a room that's locked. And they're disappointed with themselves, as we said. They're completely defeated and dejected by their behavior. And Jesus walks into the midst. Suddenly, he's risen from the dead. And he doesn't, you know, issue out this big long sermon and this victorious chant. He just simply says, peace. Peace be unto you. And then he shows them the price of what it cost him. He shows them exactly the level that he went to. Unbelievable. Shows them his wounds. And maybe now in these disciples' hearts they begin to think, Wow, I can't believe he's risen from the dead. And then on beyond this, you can read it. He meets Peter on the, on, the, on, the, on the beach. He begins to cook breakfast for him. Never once does Jesus mention about Peter's denial. That first entrance into the, into the room that, that had locked doors, he says, peace. Peace to you all. Peace be unto you. Stop this worrying. Stop this guilt. Stop this shame. Stop all of this this stuff that must be revolving around in your mind and troubling you. Peace. And in that word, it all goes. When the Prince of Peace says peace, I tell you now, every storm in our little mind is stilled. And he meets Peter on the beach. Cooks him breakfast. So relaxed. Chilled out. And he asked Peter just three questions. He doesn't go into the past. It's all long gone. It's all been buried in him. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter three times tells the Lord that he loves him. He said, feed my sheep, Peter. Look after my church. And then over the coming weeks, Jesus at various times begins to appear to them. You know, you talk about supernatural. You talk about the unexpected. You talk about things happening that blew their minds. This is how these early disciples were brought up in the things of God. 
They were unlearned in the education of the time. They were unlearned in, in the Bible schools and all of the theory schools of their time. Unlearned men, but schooled in the spirit. Schooled in understanding what God wanted through Jesus. And maybe they thought, do you know what? He's risen from the dead, but what now? And Jesus showed them his purpose had not changed. He had said, listen, if he says something, he's going to do it. He, come hell or high water, if it comes out of his mouth, it's going to happen. There is nothing that's going to stop it. There is no person, no country, no government, no world that is going to get in the way of it. But his word will prevail. And suddenly now they start to become aware that he's still going for this. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build it. They've killed me. I've risen from the dead. And now I'm going to use you to do it. And he begins to show them, teach them about the, ki the kingdom over 40 days. There was 500 disciples gathered around him. And Jesus began to speak to them. Jesus began to show them. And tell them about the kingdom, the coming kingdom, and the church that he was going to build. And he said, listen, wait in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem until my spirit comes. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, you'll see that there were 120 people in an upper room. Jesus had spoke to 500 and there were 120 in an upper room. Where did the other 380 go? Maybe they just didn't believe that it was going to happen. Maybe the zeal and the passion and the labor and the life laying down that was required, that was specified by Jesus, they were unwilling to give. But 120 made a commitment to say, do you know what? Whatever it takes. 120 made a commitment and said, do you know what? We are too far in with you, Jesus, to go anywhere else. And they went into that upper room and they began to pray and they began to resolve their differences. You know, in a church family, there's always going to be differences, isn't there? I'm going to ask James to come. There's always going to be differences. Come on, let's give James a big round of applause. He's fantastic. James has been here since Pastor Ray planted this church. I tell you. And Sally. faithful <laughs> so they're in our upper room they really don't know how big this thing's going to get it looks really small 120 but Jesus had given them a commission he said listen go into all the world preach the gospel to every creature go to, Ju to Jerusalem first then Judea 
then Samaria. And once you've covered those three areas, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. I mean, you're talking big thinking here. You're talking king of the universe, Lord of heaven and earth, not backing off, not hiding away, not, you know, uh, thinking small, but thinking big. We're going to take this nation and beyond this nation, we're going to go to the ends of the earth. You've been called out of darkness. You've been called toward one another. You've not been called into something small, insignificant, something that's going to be hidden away, something that's going to retreat and back off. You're anointed by the Holy Spirit. You've been called into the house of God for something glorious in this city. And once God's finished with this city, well, he's never going to be finished with it, but you know what I mean. Once he's done with this city, there's going to be other cities, towns, villages, valleys, right across Wales until Jesus' name is lifted up. How can it be done with such a congregation as this? They must have asked that same question when they were in the upper room. How can it be done? Just weeks before, they were locking the doors. And now they were in an upper room, secluded, hidden away in private. And God knows all of that. He's fine with that. He knows that we are feeble. He knows that we are frail. And we can't do anything without His power. But when the Holy Spirit comes and burns in you like a fire, when the Holy Spirit lands on you, I'm telling you, you'll be able to do things you'd never imagined you could do. Never, ever in your wildest dreams. The greatest friend you can have is the Holy Spirit. There is nobody like the counselor. There is nobody like the helper. There is nobody like that anointing that abides within you, whereby you have no need that any man teach you concerning anything. Because the anointing will teach you concerning all things. Begin to draw on that anointing, church. Don't just draw on your old head that's empty, that's full of old experiences. Begin to draw on that anointing. There's new possibilities, new opportunities, new doors that the anointing wants to awaken you to. No, your life is not insignificant. Your life is not unimportant. Your life is not going to be retreating. But your life is going to be advancing. Because we are the church of Jesus Christ. 120. There they are. Waiting. Praying. And it says this. If you read it, it says, And when they were... It says, And on the day of Pentecost, when they were all in one accord... One accord. That word accord is, an, is a musical term. It means harmony. James is playing right now this harmony. It's nice. He's able to bring notes together. And there's a oneness, an accord. There's an accord with the notes that he's playing. And they had to come to that place of accord. They had to come to that place of unity. They had to come to that place of resolve. Do you know what? We're giving everything. 
We're not backing off. Together, we are making a decision to go forward, to go into Jerusalem, the place that we've hidden away from, the place that we have feared. We are going to face our fear. Jesus has told us to go back into Jerusalem, the very place that he was humiliated, the very place that, where he died. We are going back there. The place that, where we retreated from, we are now going towards. They were in one accord in relation to their purpose, in relation to what he wanted to do. And suddenly it says, like a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit filled that building, filled that place. And they burst out onto the street. Peter stands up and begins to preach in a way that he had never preached before. Peter had never preached before. And suddenly, first time out, he stands up under the anointing of God. The man that had denied Jesus, he stands up with authority and power and life. And he begins to speak the word of God and suddenly there's 3,000 people saved. They didn't have a welcome team. How on earth did they do it? They didn't have any connect groups. Jesus, please, let us get organized before the growth comes. Please, Jesus, let us get our systems in place before the harvest. No, you're just going to get it all. All on one day, boys. Here we go. Just sort that out. And suddenly, there's a huge responsibility with these 12 disciples and they are, they're struggling in one sense to know what to do with the growth. But then wisdom comes. Wisdom comes. And they begin to set the house in order. They begin to put workers in place. You see that. And the church now then becomes systemized and organized. As a body would function, it begins to function the Holy Spirit is going to do what only he can do the church again is going to have a reputation not for being dry religious not for being a house that people try to avoid but it is going to be like a city on a hill that's attractive, that draws in the lost, the broken, the bound, the infirmed. And it's going to have a message of hope, a message, a message of healing where God is in the midst, where God is in the midst. Now, I'm going to be preaching over these next week's in relation to this, God's house, building church. And I think that this is a time where we may need to just do a health check. Where we may need to carry out an inventory of our priorities, of our lives. I can't, I can't point to your life. You can't point to mine. But I think it's healthy for any church, for any family to again look afresh at 
priorities, as to what we set our sights on. And my prayer is that our zeal would be fired up even more for this place. My prayer is that our hearts would again capture the commission that Jesus has given to each one of us, not just preachers or pastors, but to each one of us, friends. Go into all the world and proclaim the good news of the gospel. It's good news. It really is to proclaim it. I'm going to close right here. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Jesus said, I will build my church. My church. Maybe today you're in this place and you've never asked Jesus into your heart. You don't have to wait another moment. This can be the greatest moment of your life. It really can. Where you invite Jesus into your heart. Jesus loves you so much. He wants to take away that fear. He wants to take away that pain. He wants to take away the shame and the guilt that we've all carried. I carried it for far too long. One day I realized this guy just said to me, he said, hey Dave, he said, all of that stuff you're carrying, Jesus wants to take it off you. He wants to save you from all of that stuff. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to feel, to actually feel it. Peace inside. Forgiveness. And he described it like this. He said, it's like taking a shower, but on the inside. I said, man, I want that. It was as simple as that for me. Didn't get any more difficult than that. I want that. He said, well, listen, Dave, pray a prayer with me and something will happen. In the simplicity of the prayer that you prayed this morning with me, let me tell you, assure you, something supernatural will happen in your heart and Jesus will be your savior. He'll become your friend and you will walk with him for the rest of your life. What an offer. What a guarantee he gives. I did it at 15, 15 years of age. 15 years of age. And I'm telling you now, I'm not saying that life has been easy. I mean, look at me. Right? Just imagine if you had to wear this head on your shoulders and get up every morning and look in the mirror. You think you got it hard. I'm only joking. I'm the image of God created in Christ Jesus. His workmanship. Come on. Even though I need some air on my head. But listen. Listen. Jesus loves you. If he can save me, save anybody. If he can save you, he can definitely save anybody. I'm going to pray a prayer with you right now. It's going to be a wonderful moment for you. Wonderful moment. 
Let's close our eyes in respect for those that are going to pray this prayer. Church, let's pray for those that may be going to pray this prayer right now for the first time. Pray this prayer with me. Just say, Jesus, quietly in your heart, say it. Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I don't want it to be a barrier anymore between us. I want you to live in my heart. I ask you right now and invite you into my heart. Amen. Now, while eyes are closed in respect for the person that prayed these prayers, I'm going to ask you right now, if you prayed that prayer, would you quickly lift your hand up? I'll see it. Don't be afraid. Lift your hand up. You ask, that's it, mate. That's it. Just keep your hands up. We just want to give you a Bible. That's it. Stewards, if you just, just lift your hands up. That's it. Just lift them up. Don't be afraid. Excellent, Paul. Come on, mate. That's it. Well done, sir. These guys on the side, lady at the back there. That's it. Is there anybody else? You prayed that prayer. Just helps us get a Bible to you and we can have a little chat with you. If you prayed that prayer and you don't want to lift your hand up, let me assure you, Jesus is in your heart. We on, I only ask you to lift your hand so we can just help you with the Bible and get some information from you if you'd like us to. Amen, church. Amen. I'm telling you now, we are on a glorious journey. We really are. We're on a glorious journey. We're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing. Father, I thank you right now for your people. Thank you for every one of them, Lord. I pray that this week ahead, that there would be supernatural opportunities with people. Lord, I pray that your people, as they speak to colleagues in work, as they speak to friends and family, that you would diffuse life through us. You would diffuse your love through our eyes. You would diffuse your power through our hands. You would diffuse, Lord, your glory, that your church again would have a wonderful reputation to be a part of. Your church would have the reputation that God is in the midst. Lord, I pray for this place. I pray that it would be too small. Lord, I pray. What a glorious, wonderful problem to have. Father, we pray and we speak it into being. We see, Lord, miracles occurring in this place. We see the power of God being so rich, so heavy, so evident over this city. Lord, we pray that this city of Newport would not regress back into old things. Lord, it's violent past, it's violent history. Holy Spirit, we pray. Lord, that you would move through all the streets, through the houses, through the communities of this city, Lord. And we ask you, Jesus, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, all God's people said, come on, church, let's sing.